Welcome to the Figuring Out Families podcast by Magellan Media, where we explore and build awareness of the issues faced by families today, and in doing so, set about figuring out families. This is episode six in series one. Our guest is Deacon George Petchmet. Our guest today on Figuring Out Families spent two years in Egypt with his young family after fleeing South Sudan's civil war. He and his family eventually obtained refugee status and found themselves in Melbourne. He's since gained a Bachelor of Theology degree and now works as a Sudanese Catholic community pastoral worker and also raises money for schools in South Sudan. Welcome to Figuring Out Families, Deacon George Peshmet. Thank you. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much. Perhaps we'll start um, with South Sudan. Tell us about the civil war there and the toll it's taken on your country. Uh, the war we have... Uh, <clears throat> before our independence as a South Sudan, we used to be Sudan, and uh, we, uh, we were colonised by Egypt and also British, and uh, we gained our independence in 1956 uh, as, a, as a Sudan. Uh, when the British left, uh, it left was, uh, you know, we we are we are from South Sudan and mainly South Sudan we are Christians. Uh, the people in the north are mainly Muslims. The the northern people took over the power and they neglected their developments and also they started the Christian persecution in the in the in the south. Uh, and then the first civil war started in 1958, just two years after independence. Uh, this war went for long, uh, and then in 19, 1972 they signed an agreement. This is called a Disababa Agreement, yep. uh, where uh, you know they said we're going to to implement what the sources need. So it looked like it was just a break from war. So I was born, uh, you know, during that time in 1970. Uh, without any birth record, I don't celebrate birthday now. I okay. was born with my twin sister. Uh, she's now in uh, in Alice Spring. So we were born with uh, uh, we were born during uh, during the first civil war, uh, and then uh, during that time the second civil war started. That was wow. in 1983. Uh, the reason for that is that the, the government want to be ruled by Sharia law. Sharia law, Islamic law, that the country will be governed by Sharia law, and and then you know the this is we we said we are Christians, we cannot be you know denied our rights. Yes. And then this is when the first uh, you know the second civil war started. Uh, during that time, a lot of destruction happened, uh, and then in uh, nine, uh, so in 1984, I you know our. So our village was, uh, you know, was attacked. Yeah. My father used to be a medical assistant, which is, he was taught by the missionary called the Comboni missionaries uh, from Italy. And uh, he was a medical assistant. And uh, so I have to move to a bigger town to continue my study. I went with my sister and uh, with, uh, with her husband. Her husband was working in the military, but uh, the marriage didn't go through. And then my father died during that time, 1984. Right. Uh, and then from there, so I, nobody could support me for my school, and I decided to join the military. 
So I joined the military at the age of 16, uh, then, you know, disconnected with all the families. Uh, then, you know, during that time, starting going to war and they start burying dead bodies when I was only 16 years old. Really? So I lost the family, connection, no phone, nothing. They were in the village. Uh, and then until, uh, you know, 1989, I, I decided that, uh, you know, it's good to marriage because if I die, then I can leave behind a child that will meet my family later on. Yes. So I, I, so I met my wife in the town. I was 19, she was 16. Uh, she's from a different tribes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was rejected by her father. And uh, the only way is uh, for me to run away with her. So okay. we uh, eloped. You eloped? Yeah, so we eloped. And then, uh, then later on, if somebody ran away from with your daughter, you have to accept that, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, so the reason is not because I, because the reason we were rejected uh, to have a right of marriage. Yes. So I married my wife. So war is still continue. Then, you know, I lost the family connection from 2000 and from 1985 uh, until when I went to military in 1986. So I first time to go back to my village, it was in, in 1980, uh, 1991. Is this, that a big village? Yeah, it's a big village. Uh, yeah, it's a big village. Uh, this is where when they arrived there and I found my mother and here a son with a with a wife you know from a different town from different tribes and uh, we started our life there but uh, I have to go back I was still in military then right uh, this uh, uh, this is the war this is the war that started two million people died and uh, four million was driven away from the country and we become part of us uh, this is, you know, a lot of towns were destroyed, a lot of uh, family uh, tide will break out and a lot of problem and uh, a lot of displacement. And people run to, you know, the neighboring countries, Ethiopia, Kenya, uh, Uganda, Central Africa and Egypt. And also some of them went all the way, Lebanon, Syria. Mm. So we scattered everywhere. The whole fabric of South Sudan yes. was just shattered. Yes, right? yes, yes. So this is the war. This is the war. It went all the way until 2005. This is when they signed the first agreement. Yes. And, and then the agreement gave the South Sudan a self-determination that the South will decide whether they want to be a separate country or not. Yes, okay. Now, around about that time or a year before, I believe you fled to Egypt with your family. You were trying to get to Australia, is that right? But uh, you... Actually, when, uh, when we were in our village, I decided, I decided that, you know, my, my childhood life has been, you know, stalled, taken away from me. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I left the military. I resigned from military in 1988. Yes. And then I went, I was, when I was in the military, I was a catechist. Oh, right. So, and the catechist back home, the bishop conference in Sudan and South Sudan, they said, the only way to protect, uh, you know, our Christians, Catholics, is to recruit, uh, you know, catechists within the military to protect, uh, 
Yes. Uh, you know, their brothers not being converted to Islam. Right. So I was in that in that position. I was working as a catechist, and I was I was whatever military we go to, where I always set up, uh, uh, you know, a center. You know, a, a, just a place for us to pray. So, what happened here? Just to understand the situation. Uh, some of South Sudanese went to the bush fighting the government of Sudan. Yep. And some of South Sudanese, they were with the government of Sudan. Not just because they want to work there, to protect also others. Yes. So I was with the government of Sudan, uh, you know, and, uh, and we were working, evangelizing our people from there. Uh, so when I resigned, I went back to the, you know, to the, to the, into our, our town called Bentiu. So this is the place of oil. This is where oil of Sudan come from. Oh, okay. I was, uh, I was assigned. I was working with the government while also working as a catechist. But I, you know, I said during that time we have uh, three children, uh, you know, three daughters, and I said. This is not the best place for me. So we hear about people going to Egypt, and yes. then there's a possibility of if you go to Egypt, you can be resettled in a country where you know where you can have opportunity yes. and a better life for your family. Yeah. So this is when I decided that this is not a country for us. I said I I want to just you know move away from this country. So. 2002, we left the country with my wife, three children. Uh, no, with, uh, with my wife and four children. Our, our son, who is now, I'm going to talk about it later, he was born only only four months. And yes. Then we left, we went to Egypt with, right. with, yeah, with four children. It is a journey like the journey of Abraham, yeah. and a journey to the unknown place. Yes. You just go and you see what, what, uh, you know, what God will show you. Mm, a real challenge, I it, imagine. It, it, I can't it was, it was from very moving big. from Sudan, South Sudan to Egypt, and yeah. not really knowing what was coming. Yeah. And, yeah. and had you thought of Australia when you got to Egypt? Or? Uh, we we were in Egypt. We arrived in Egypt, and uh, you have to stay with friends. Uh, we stay with friends for a few days. And Egypt, there is no refugee camp. You, as soon as you arrive in Egypt, you have to be registered under the United Nations. Yes. They will give you a card that you are now under the United Nations protection. The Egyptian people, they don't like South Sudanese because the people in the north, they put in their mind that the issue of, uh, the issue of war is because South want to block water coming to Egypt. Uh, okay. So they don't like us. Uh, and uh, we, so we struggle in Egypt. Uh, you know, children cannot go to school because they can be beaten on the way yep. by Egyptian children. They can be thrown by stones and all this. Oh, that's terrible. So we leave the children home. Yeah. Uh, there's, there was no job. Uh, they give job to the ladies and clean the houses. And, okay. But you, you, you can work. I was working in factory and, uh, you know, shoe factory. Right. And then uh, this shoe factory gave me about 250 Egyptian pounds, less than $50 a month, including your... Uh, it doesn't sound like a lot. No, no. But uh, we will manage. But we were faced also by another challenge. As soon as we arrived there, we discovered that one of uh, the third daughter of mine has a heart problem. Okay. And then... Uh, 
uh, we went through it. She was suffering, and uh, the United Nations said, okay, now we're going to to speed up your process, your settlement process, and uh, that your daughter can have opportunity to... Yes. Maybe if you are resettled in a country where it's hot, you know, it's a good hospital, yeah. uh, she can have, uh, you know, the heart surgery. She was only three years old. Right. So they assigned an official to assess our application, and uh, you have to write why you leave the country. Mm. So you have to write, you know, like a history, why I left the country because of this, of this, and the official will come and assess uh, your application. So I wrote that we, we were persecuted. I was a catechist. I have yes. all the documentation from my bishop. I have all the IDs that I'm a catechist and I was evangelizing. So the person that was uh, assigned by the United Nations, unfortunately, she was a Muslim, Egyptian Muslim. Right. And then she assessed our application. And then she saw that I talk about against the religion of Islam. And she rejected our application. Okay. Yeah. So you were sort of doomed from the start by the sound of it when you had a Muslim lady going yeah. through your application. Yes, yes. So what happens here now, our application was rejected. Then the United Nations said there is no way to rescue your daughter except to have an operation in Egypt. And she went to operation she died immediately after mm, operation. Yes. Dreadfully sad. Yeah, it was very And she sad. was three years old. She was only three years old. Right. Yeah. During that time, we also put another application at the Australian Embassy, and uh, we were also rejected. The same months, you know, losing a child, yes. being rejected by the United Nations, being rejected by the uh, Australian Embassy. Terribly tough time for it you and your family. It was very tough. So uh, we said, we are not going back to the country. We're not going back to South Sudan or to Sudan. We, that, <clears throat> we found the strength from, you know, it, the good Lord, especially, and yes. you know, Jeremiah, when God said to Jeremiah that I know the future that I have for you, future to give mm. you hope with prosperity. The good thing is in the Australian embassy, they will, uh, we were told, I was told why the application was rejected. They okay. said, because I talk about myself, about that I'm being persecuted. I didn't mention anything about my life. My wife can also be in danger. My children can be in danger. Okay, so that was good feedback to so get from the said, embassy. They said you have to explore that. Mm. So we put it in. So I wrote down that yes, my wife, because yeah, I'm a uh, evangelist, and she also can be persecuted, and all these children can be recruited to child soldiers. Girls can be married, forced marriages, and all this. We put the application in. Within three months, we were accepted. Oh, terrific! We were accepted to come to Australia. Yeah, that yeah. was good feedback you got from the embassy. It anyway, was, it was it was very good. Yeah, yeah. it was it was very good. And then from there we have to go through the process. Yes. And uh, during that time, also my wife, you know, was pregnant with my, you know, my other son. You know, his name is Matthew. He is now he's now 15 years old now. He's a, you know he's a soccer player. We'll talk about it later. But okay. uh, we were accepted. We were given a visa. We struggle how to find tickets. Three months uh, searching for tickets. Right. And then, you know, the baby was nearly coming to be, to be born. So you had to find your own money to you get to Australia. You have to find your own money because uh, we have people here during that time, but there was not, uh, you know, 2004. 
there was nowhere to find money for a ticket. And I came with my two nephews, uh, you know, my sister's, uh, you know, my sister's, uh, you know, son, my older sister's son and my second one, because I was caring for them because, uh, you know, as the uncle and we came out, we find a ticket. We arrived mm. here only three weeks after my son was born three weeks when wow. we arrived here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you had a very interesting few years there, didn't very, you? Very, very big, very tough. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you came to Melbourne first? Was yeah, that, yes. Did yes. you want to come to Melbourne or was that suggested? Uh, because, or? you know, we came with a sponsorship form, but uh, under the United Nations visa. Yes. So there is there are there are two categories. If you are accepted by the United Nations and resettle in Australia, the United Nations will pay for your ticket, will also arrange an accommodation. Right. But if somebody if if you come with a sponsorship, you know, like you know, our our people they used to send forms. They said, Yes, I know this man from my village. If they accepted him, I will be able to accommodate him, I'll be able to provide for ticket. But uh, then if you accept it, they give you a permanent resident visa, like okay. uh, yeah, you know, the humanitarian visa. Yes. So we came with under this category, that uh, we stay with, uh, with people. And even my son was born, we were in one room, only one room with my cousin right. in, in their house. Yeah. Oh, it would have been very interesting. Yeah, well. So how did you find the... I can't imagine what it's like having been born here and being part of the culture, but coming to a totally different culture from South Sudan to Australia, what were those first few months like? Uh, the good thing is our people were here. They welcome us and uh, also they help us how to resettle. But you see, coming here is, you know, is totally different. First of all, different environment, different people... You want to approach people in other ways. Sometimes you find it difficult. Yes. In our culture, if you find elderly person, you know, carrying a heavy thing, you, help you come them. and help. I approach too many people to help, and sometimes <laughs> they, they have to run away from me <laughs> and all these things. Uh, that, that, that was, the, and uh, also when you come here, they give you, you know, 510 hours to study and MS, adult, adult yeah. learning, to learn English. But it's all about resettlement, about uh, integration, about also screening. Yes. Uh, but I was lucky to be welcomed by one of the priests, the best priests. Without him, I could have not been who I am today. So That's that, that right. the parish priest of San, of San Antonio's Noble Park, Father Anthony Fini. Oh, yes. He's, uh, he's, he's become a friend of mine. Lovely. Uh, he welcomed me, and he knows that I show him all my documents. During that time, you know, there were a lot of, lot of South Sudanese coming to San Antonio's, but they, there's no leader, no, nobody who have experience of how to run with the community. So when I presented all my documents, I said, I think you are the right person now. You are the right person. Yeah, yeah. So okay. What started. was your English like when you first came here? We, did you have basic English at all? No, not at not all. Not at all. No, first time to speak, I, I've, you know, very little. Very not, little, not, yeah. uh, First time... When I met with Father Tony, you know, it have to, you have to, you know, I I used translator. My cousin used to help me to translate me to him. Wow. wow. Yeah. Your, your English is terrific these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really good. Yeah. Moving on, um, your family. You you mentioned earlier when you were moving here, you had four children. Now you got six, I believe. What's family like life like with all your other work? Do you have much time to do anything? Uh. 
to be honest, I have a very good wife, and she's she's very 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 good. And uh, in uh, now in when I start with work now, it's very tough. But sometimes she's working as well. Yes. But we have to manage, so it's not it's not an easy. Yeah, but uh, your you know. your children are what ages from what? Uh, the older daughter now she's twenty twenty seven. Okay. She's a nurse. Fantastic. Yeah, she's now she's now working in Foscare Hospital. Lovely. Uh, the other daughter she's uh, twenty two. She's now a mother. I'm a grandfather. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. You don't look old enough to be a grandfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the, my other son is now he's finishing year twelve. He's in. So he's turning, he's, he's, so he's turning, he's turning 18, and then my other son Matthew is now, is in year nine, going to year 10. He's 15 years old, and, and my other daughter Bakita, Bakita 12, and then our younger one is uh, eight years old. Wow, wow, that's a good age group. Yeah, and six of them. Wow. Yeah, six of them. Um, you choose, you chose to become a deacon in the Catholic Church. What sort of work does that involve? Uh, now I'm officially I, I worked full-time ministry, so I'm appointed in the in the you know by the diocese as a chaplain for the community, and I also I worked also as a parish deacon. So it's yes. full-time ministry divided into into in, you know into two. Yes. Part-time as a chaplain and part-time as a as a parish deacon, where I helped the parish priest. I worked in the parish. Uh, you know, doing pastoral ministry in the parish uh, with the community. Um, you know, we don't have a priest, um, okay. so, I'm, so I'm the pastor now. Um, you know, I'm the, you know, uh, so my work involves, you know, ministering into the community in different parishes. Yes. Uh, we have a community mass in Warabi, you know, San Andrew is in Warabi for Sunday of the month. We establish community mass also in San Albon South. In Holy Eucharist Parish, where it, it you know run by the Redemptorists, it was a very big parish. We have two masses there, first and second Sunday of the month. We have mass now in San Antonio's every Sunday. So, I divide my Sundays one Sunday in the west, one Sunday in the southeast. So, okay. but but you know through God's grace, we have two deacons now coming up next year. Uh, so we have two of our characters are now in their final preparation. They will, they might be all dead next year. That right. this will come and help me. So it's probably fair to say you're in the car a fair bit. You do a bit yeah, of travelling yes, around yes, Melbourne. Yes, yes, yes. Huh. In the ministry, so I baptize, I do weddings, I do funerals, uh, I preach in the masses. Is uh, the nursing homes? I think yeah, you mentioned the them. nursing home is belong to the parish. This yeah. is one of the parish. I also do. You know, different ministries in the parish, RCIA, and also helping the parish priest with, you know, running the parish. Right. Mm. And you haven't lost your connection uh, with South Sudan. You uh, you raised money for schools, I believe. Uh, we went with Tony Feeney, my friend. We went in 2011. Uh, we went there and uh, because there was, they established a Catholic school in my hometown. And uh, the DC school through my connection here, so I found two parishes were, uh, you know, twin with a, with a, with a, you know with a parish school in my hometown. Yes. So the parish, uh, you know, Mudialik and Aspendale parishes. So the parish priest Father Andrew Jokert. So when I was doing my, uh, you know, my pastoral placement there, the, the parish community said we want to be part. We want to help. 
So we went with Tony, we came back, we are now, we, we raised money, and, uh, you know, and also Father Andrew Jokert went there in 2013. He visited the sister school and sister parish. He came back and we sent a shipping container full of his school materials. Wow. And uh, there were 550, you know, students. And we were going to start building the school, but the war broke out in, yes. you know, just, just civil war within South Sudanese. So we now put it on hold until, yes. until you know, the war is finished and we're going to restart building it again. Okay. Yeah. So how, how far through the building process was it? No, with the building house, uh, we haven't started, started because okay. the, war, the war started. The yes. war, and then the, a lot of people were displaced. I went in, so I went in 2016. Yes. But now even the parish are all under the United Nations Protection Camp in uh, in Bentiu. So I went there, I spent, I spent three weeks in the United Nations Protection Camp. This is called internally displaced people, the people that are displaced there because that's an internal war. Yeah. So the United Nations opened a, a camp where, you know, where people are in. Yes. Yeah, so we put it on hold, but it's still in the process. So we hold them, we put the money through the Silesian mission. So the money are there now. When as soon as we the war is is, is over, we're going to, you know, we start uh, start collecting money again, doing fundraising, and and start building the school. That's good. Yeah. How is it going in South Sudan? You don't hear a lot of news these days. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, it was it's been a war on again, off again for many many years. Have things settled down a bit? Uh, now there is a there is a peace. They signed the peace and. It was actually signed in 2015, but uh, it was hard to implement it. Yeah. The uh, opposition party came into the capital. The war broke out again. The opposition leader was, was chased away all the way to Congo. Right. And he survived several attempts. Yes. Now they revitalized, you know, they revitalized the, the agreement again. And uh, they're supposed to, uh, you know, to form a, a, a unity government. On, on Tuesday, but they ask for more extension because there are a lot of issues that need to be implemented, the security agreements, and also there are boundaries issues within the tribes, within the states, has not been done. They want to reunify the, gov- the, you know, the army to have one single army. So they give them another three months, and then within three months, we'll see what will happen. And if you see them last time yeah. in April, they went to Rome, met with Holy Father, and Holy Father kissed their feet, yes. asking them on behalf of the suffering people of South Sudan to accept one another and also move forward for the, you know, to implement the peace. Mm. Very good words and very true, very yeah. long-suffering, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Your um, life, I guess, as a refugee or coming from that background, that would have helped you, I imagine, as in your present role now and working with young Sudanese or Sudanese generally? Yes, of course, you see with the experience that uh, you see now, I, I've been through that situation and I know the trauma that they've been through. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they told me stories, I know that this is true. Yeah. But if you say it to somebody else, they will, they will say it, impossible. Right. Uh, they, will, they will not understand. No. But uh, being part of it, being part of them, and I know it, it, it helped me a lot in, the, you know, in their ministry. Yes. It's not an easy ministry uh, called dealing with people who, who carry on the trauma of war and all these things. It's not an easy. 
I can't imagine. I mean, our only experience, I guess, here would be Australians who were in the Vietnam War. I'm talking about in the last 50 years. And so I know a couple myself, and they have been traumatised by that, just uh, their, their role and what they did in Vietnam. So mm. wars are dreadful things. And uh, I think most of us who haven't been a part of a war can't really appreciate just the, the tra- trauma that uh, people go through. Yeah, it is true. Um, going on, do you believe... Um, the Sudanese community have been treated well in Australia. I know there have been the odd story, bad story here and there, especially in Melbourne with um, young Sudanese youth. Do you think the media generally are fair or do you think they sometimes get it wrong? The media is there, you know, they got it wrong. But uh, we don't blame also the media because there are some, you know, there are some incidents with, with our young people who are, who are doing all this crime. But if you, if you see the statistic... It's very, very, very small. Small percentage. Very small percentage. But uh, yeah. you see, uh, this is one of the things that the media also has been, you know, you know, saying negative things, and also to politicians. Yes. Politicians also. You see, whenever there is a election coming up, you see the media talking about this, the gangs and all this. But uh, it is a very, you know, it's very, you know, very, uh, very small incidents. But yes. You see, what is happening in our youth, it happens in every youth. But we are singled out because we are, we are community. Sure. And, uh, and, uh, and also, we, we, you know, we, we get the strength from others. Like you mentioned before, the other, the other community who came here before us, when we, we sometimes invite them to come and talk to us, and we find yeah. that they went through all this. Yeah. But at the end, everything is now settling down. Yeah. Do you think Sudanese families are generally welcomed by Australians at large? We are very, very welcome. That's very, good to very, hear. Very, very welcome. Very, very welcome. When you, when you walked into, you know, before these incidences, you, 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 everywhere you go, you are welcome. Now, with the negative thing on the media, sometimes, even for myself, when I visited, you know, elderly people, I take communion to their houses. If this is the first time, I have to say to, you know, to the secretary, describe me. Yeah. You call them and let them know that who, who is Deacon. Yes. He's a South Sudanese tall boy, tall yeah. South Sudanese. <laughs> when he knock your door, open the door. That's right. Because sometimes I've been to, you know, many incidents where I knock the door, they see me, but because of what is happening in the media, they don't want to open the door. No, which, yeah. is, which is sad. It's, very, it's very sad, sad in one yeah. thing. Yeah. Either they think you're trying to sell them a washing machine, perhaps. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's good. Well, that's good to hear that yes, uh, yes. generally yeah. Sudanese families are yeah. welcome. We're we actually South Sudanese. South Sudanese, yeah, yes. Because now, and after course, the independence, 2011, we are now Sudanese. That's but there are, there are Sudanese also here. Yes. But they're Arabs. Right. How difficult is it, is it to adapt to a new culture? I think you did touch on it a little bit earlier, but uh, is it particularly hard? I think you had a few struggles initially with you and your family. It's especially with the, with, the, with the laws here. Yeah. There are too many laws, especially family laws. There, we have, you know, the, the, the family hierarchy is very important in our culture. Yeah, yeah. And here, when we came here, we said everybody, we are equal. Right. And then when we said we are equal... Some of them, they're still using it in a different way. Yes. The kids will say, I'm equal to the father. I want to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. The, the mother of this will say, I'm equal to you. You don't have to, you know, correct me and all this. Some people find it, they found it very difficult. Yes. And uh, 
it it it, it created more of more of issues in the houses. But now, sure, we we are we we now resettle and we adapt. Yes, that yes, our culture is very important, but there are things in our culture that are, doesn't work here. Sure. Yes, this culture is very good. We have to adapt into this culture. Yes. And uh, whatever we find difficult, we need to, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a process. You cannot do it at once. Mm. But now, you know, we, we, you know, we understand now that, uh, yes, we have to adapt into this system. Right. I imagine the younger people especially would adapt quicker. Children are amazingly adaptive. They, they adapt very quick. Yeah, yeah. And two, two or three of your children were born here? Uh, three of them. Three of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they're Aussies. <laughs> yeah, they're all Aussies. Even even my uh, my son now, he went to prep here. He went to kindergarten here. <laughs> yes. So they are all Aussies now. Uh, Deacon George, perhaps you could tell me: Are there some issues in particular that you find when you're out ministering with Sudanese? Some of the issues that are particular to the new Sudanese to Australia. Uh, one of the issues you see the f- <clears throat> the divorce. It now it become one of the, it's not in our culture. Because when we marriage, we pay dowries. Dowries to yes. the girl family. Right. When we marriage, we are not marrying only the girl, we're marrying the relationship between the two families. Okay. When we marriage, we brought, we marrying a girl that will be, you know, part of the village and part of the tribe. A girl that will raise up, will, you know, will, would bring children that will defend the village and the tribe, uh, children that will, uh, will, you know, will be known that in the that they are not only for this family. So this is how it is, and this is why marriage is very rare, because when things happen, yes, two families will come together, the elders will be involved, elders of the community, issue will be solved easily. Yes. We have come here now, you know, I, I, so, I, so I did mention before the equality, that people are equal. Yes. And also we have, you know, confidentiality. We have also the privacy, the people that want, I don't want, I just want to solve my issue by myself. Even mm. if I'm, a, I, as a minister, sometimes I know that within the congregation there are, I might hear outside that, you know, this this couple they have a problem. But if I've must, if I'm not invited in, yeah. I cannot go and talk. But back home, if I know that this uh, part of my congregation they're struggling in marriage, I have a right straight away to go and talk to them. Yeah. Now we have come here now. The issue of divorce. Everybody will say, it is my own thing. I have a right. I have a right to call the police to come and ask the husband to leave or ask the the wife to leave or has or as a child I I want to go out from the house this one create more problem now most of the families you see now the maybe 90% of young people who are now causing problem are they're missing one parent yeah single whether, parent whether through war or whether through divorce okay now the role of the father is very important in raising up children now you see, these kids now, maybe the father is not here. Some fathers went back. They find it difficult here. They went back. Okay. Does that happen a fair bit? Uh, not it's very rare, but mostly. Oh. If, if divorce happens, somebody will say, oh, because 
as soon as the divorce, in our culture, if, if the divorce happened, the children are given to the father. Okay. And the children are belong to the father, and not belong to the mother. Wow. Yeah. The dowry are paid back to the, you know, to the, to the, 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 the father's family. Yes. You know, if I divorce my wife, they will pay, they, they will pay me back my dowry. That's interesting. Yeah, so it is very different to the it's Australian very, very way. different to the Australian laws. So I could see that could cause real problems. You know, some some are willing to to ask us to you know to be to be part of the solution. Yes. And uh, we have come also to some cases where there is also intervention order, but when they realize at the end that now it is not the way it has done in our culture, yeah, we have to involve the church. Yes. Or we have to involve the elders. Yeah. Do a lot of Sudanese seek your assistance or oh, seek... A lot, a lot. Well, that's a, of, a good thing. Yes, a lot, a lot. And, and, and I worked... So here in yeah. the Archdiocese, we have 16 accredited catechists working with me. Yeah. So this, this is... They, they always come and help. And also with elders. Because South Sudanese were 64 tribes. Oh, really? 64? 64 tribes. Okay. So... But the common language that I minister to my community now, Arabic. Yep. This is this is the common language that everybody understands. Yeah. Or English. So now if any any one of my congregation have a problem, I always involve the tribal leaders. Okay. In in you know, in solving the issues. Yes. yes. So they have to be part of it. Yeah. But there are some cultures within South Sudanese also I don't understand. Because, okay. you, know, you know, it's a tribal culture. Yes. Yeah. But and we don't necessarily understand that yeah, here, no. um, the different tribal cultures and whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's hard enough to understand the Australian Aborigines and their different, um, you know, what, their culture and a whole lot of different uh, mm. peoples within Australia. Yeah. So we're quite ignorant of that, really. Yeah. Um, what more can be done to help refugees settle? Or can anything more be done? I think what more need to be done is to understand their culture. Yes. Uh, to also work with them. You cannot work by yourself. This is what, you know, now the police and the, the government, they understand now that we, we, try, we try by ourselves. It, it didn't work. Now we have to come back to the community. Deacon George, you mentioned off air about uh, some of the work you do out of hours, patrolling um, for want a better of a word, um, shopping centres to look out for uh, Sudanese youth and others who are doing the wrong thing, and how successful that's been. Perhaps you could tell me a bit about that. Uh, we have started now in the in the southeast, you know, Fountain Gate Shopping Centre. We have started a community uh, community patrol. And uh, this is it's not just the South Sudanese community, but we, it, it, it is combined with the Pacific Islanders, the police and the security in the shopping centre. Why we, why we did that? Because there was an incident a few months ago. There was a fight and one of the girls was snapped by a knife. We have incident and also report that when they finish school, there are some young people, they, you know, they go there, shopping centre, stealing things. So the police came and they said with us, what can we do? We said, okay, we, we need to ask, you know, to do the community patrol. We've started now two months. So we have two shifts. The first shift from five to seven, the community. Then the second shift is also from 
7 to 9. Right. So Thursday and Friday. Now, since we started this, no more problem. No problems. The no problems problem have at gone all. away. And also coming back to this festival. Moomba? Yeah. So <laughs> you if, were about to say Moomba, I know you Yeah, were. yeah, yeah. There was a there was incident few, you know, I think two years ago. Yes. So our young people went there and then they caused problem. Now every year we have we have community patrol, you know, working together with the police and now we that is a really no, good outcome. Yeah, it was yeah. it was wonderful. And also there are also other shopping centers in the West. Also they they are also doing patrol. Now also through the Catholic care, you know, prison ministry, yes. I also established a visiting, you know, visiting group mothers. This is called the Daughters of Jerusalem. So these Daughters of Jerusalem are a group of mothers from different denominations. Yes. So they go there and visit these young people in the prison. So they have, uh, you know, they went through the, the check and all this. They're working together with Sister Mary. You know, Sister Mary, she's the prison ministry, doing prison ministry. And, uh, and talk to these young people. Some of them, they go to prison, they write that I don't want to be visited, even by my own parents. Right. So now, this, this are, uh, so another, they are now bridge between the family and, uh, and the child in the prison. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these issues you're talking about, they're not certainly not specific to South Sudanese. No. They're problems in all cultures yeah, and yeah. always have been. Yeah, and always we find it very difficult. Yes, for us in our culture, for your own child to say, "Don't, I don't want to be visited. Don't want, I don't want my parent to visit me," but they're doing it for reason because they f- they feel shame. Okay. Yeah, they let the family down. They know that we struggle. We brought them into this beautiful country, but sometimes this is why we said we don't want to condemn them. We don't want to journey with them. We don't want to give them hope. We don't want to accept their wrong, and accept them, you know, them back to the community. Yeah, well, that's a great way of looking at it too. Most people are redeemable, for want of a better word. I think they can be turned around. They might have had a bad upbringing. They might have a single parent. They might have had a parent who abused them and they've had a a rough time. But that doesn't mean to say that they're uh, not beyond help. Yeah. And finally, this has been a fascinating podcast and I I hate to finish it, but anyone who's listening to uh, this podcast, if they want to donate money, you mentioned earlier about the school in South Sudan, the Catholic school, what can they do? Where can they send their Uh, money? We have have a tax deductible system through the Silesian Mission uh, in Ascotville. Uh, they can contact me directly, and I will, con- I will link them with a, you know, with this legion mission. So we have a open account there for the school. Okay. And uh, and I think this is what the, this is what the, the people of goodwill want to do. And uh, you've got a website, have you, that uh, people can go to? No, we don't have a website, but I, you know, uh, they can find me, and then I can I can link them directly to you know to the Silesian mission. Is that through? They can find you through the parish yeah. you work. Yeah, in? yeah, yeah. They can find me through the parish or through the archdiocese. Okay. If you go to the archdiocese website, there is you know ethnic community chaplain. Yes. You click into South Sudanese, you will you okay. find me. I've got my my telephone number there. That sounds like a pretty reasonable way to go. Yeah. Deacon George, we have to leave it there, but thank you very much for being a part of Figuring Out Families. Wonderful, nice to be here, and thank you very much.
Thank you to our guest, Deacon George Petchmat. If you'd like to help Deacon George and make a donation for the new Catholic school in South Sudan, visit the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne website, www.cam.org.au. If anything in this podcast has raised issues for you, there are organisations out there that can assist, including Relationships Australia, Beyond Blue and Lifeline, among others. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode. And remember to visit www.magellan.media for more details or to leave a comment. You can also leave a comment on our Figuring Out Families Facebook page. Thanks for listening. I'm David Ahern. Until next time, this has been Figuring Out Families, brought to you by Magellan Media.